be the best rugby coach you can be. Welcome to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with head coach Dan Cottrell, where you learn hints and tips from the rugby coaching community. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. And we are traveling all the way down to, uh, I'm assuming it's sunny, uh, South Africa from wet and windy Wales. And we're going to be speaking to Wilbur Crack, who, if I pronounce that right, who is a senior lecturer at Stellenbosch University. Um, and he has done some very interesting rugby research on minis rugby. So, first of all, welcome to the podcast, Wilbur. Hi, Dan. Good afternoon or good evening. It's just, it's about just after six in South Africa, and we had a we had a sunny KM Stellenbosch today, about thirty four degrees. So, I can, right, I can okay. imagine it. Already, I am jealous as I look at the terrible weather that we're having in Wales. But um, yes, very lucky you for having that so just uh, before we uh, get into looking at the research just give us a little bit of a background to what you do and what you're doing at the moment rugby wise oh, Dan, uh, first of all thanks for the invite and it's great being on on your podcast um, so uh, my main job is I'm a lecturer at the Stellenbosch University lecturing and coaching and then performance analysis but then as a researcher I investigate um, a variety of fields so we just completed a study looking at dance and rugby if we can use a dance intervention on rugby, then a lot of coaching education studies, then the paper that Jacques Basson published from his MSc, then I'm also doing a, a lot of work on injury prevention in rugby and then specifically concussion, which we're doing a, a lot of research. Then I'm coaching as well. I'm consulting the Western Province Rugby Academy. Then I'm also part of a club on the West Coast in, in South Africa, which is called Soldana Rugby Club that just won the Boland League last year. So they they part of the a club champs in South Africa. And then I'm a... I'm a husband, and then I'm I'm a dad as well. So that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. So uh, quite busy then. Quite busy. Yeah. Uh, quite busy. Yeah, quite busy. Quite busy. So uh, we're very lucky to have um, have you on the podcast. And the reason uh, that I want to speak to you in particular is that you very kindly shared with me a paper you've done called uh, "The Effect of a Skill-Specific Coaching Education Program on the Skill Level of Mini Rugby Players." Now this is uh, it's available for people to um, to look at but uh, I want to we were talking before we came on air about the background to the research can you just tell us a little bit of reason why you you came up with this as a as a paper so there's a couple of reasons and I'm going to touch on it so first the first reason is Jacques Besson his son um, at this stage when we started with the research in 2015 um, his son was playing many rugby and he wasn't happy with, with the standard of coaching and the quality of coaching that his son had um, received from the school. So that's where it started. And then both of us, we, we involve in coaching education and, and we what it's lacking. And I'm speaking surely, um, solely from a South African context. I can't speak on behalf of other countries. Um, is that firstly, our coaching education is not up to standard because we, we so focus on the getting a certificate. We're not, um, we're not focusing on the coaching education part. Then coaches tend to coach drills and not skills. Um, and there's a, there's a vast difference because coaches tend to, they do like an Auckland grit, four cones and boys would run <laughs> yeah. around 10 minutes and 
each boy would touch the ball four times and then they're saying they're doing skills development. So that's where the project started. And then we started investigating and doing a bit of research, but we see there's nothing unavailable on on mini rugby or as we call it in South Africa, Baliki rugby. So the only union that's got a formal, uh, like a formal structure is the, is the Bulls rugby union. They've got a formal program. And again, what we also picked up that everyone's got a different structure with regards to mini rugby in South Africa. So that's where the, the project started. But um, both of us got a, a passion for coaching education and a passion for skills development. So there's two parts to the study. Firstly is the coaching education part, um, which we felt strongly about, and then also the execution of the skills. But that's where the boys come in and so so it's it's got a dual purpose so it's firstly it's going to look at how do we educate coaches and secondly how do boys execute the skills in a in a, in a precious uh, environment and i think uh, when one reads the uh, paper and speaking to you now is that uh, if you are from different parts of the world you're all going to have different coach education structures you're going to have different experiences but a lot of what i've i've picked out from this is um about the basics of coaching itself and where skill has a as a part to play so i think there are a lot of lessons that can be drawn not just for your own experiences in south africa but in uh, all all parts of the rugby world so uh, let's let's delve into some of the detail of what uh, the paper de- did uh, does so you set up two groups um, a control group and a test group I think you called it something slightly different but experimental uh, you, group, experimental group. Um, so the each group was doing something different so what were they doing different and um, explain some of the skills that they were doing differently perhaps okay so so the structure of the research was as follows so before we started with the research we needed to do the coaching education part so so that was a half day training session where the coaches come in we expose them to to the intervention we expose them to the testing opportunities and we expose them to the skills as well so so that was one part of the study where we educate the coaches that just the coaches that were part of the experimental group so and just, experiment- and so, just so th- this was the experimental group only came in yes only yeah. only so so let me touch on the control group first. That's easier. Yeah. The control group carry on with their normal rugby training without an intervention. So the only thing we expose them to is the three testing opportunities. So we had three testing opportunities. So it's prior to the intervention, midway through the intervention, and then post-intervention, where the experimental group were also exposed to to that testing three testing opportunities. But between the testing opportunities, they were exposed to the to the skills intervention that consisted of 16 weeks and then the six skills. And we designed practices. It, it was fun activities, game activities um, for the intervention. And then, again, as I said earlier, we tested them afterwards. So, how, so how did this... Uh, so we got two groups of coaches. Um, so one, one group might feel uh, that they're the group which is maybe a bit unloved and um, they may go off and try a bit harder with what they're doing. Did you get a sense of that, or did they just say, right, so, fine, we're going to carry on anyway? This has so, been the control group. So, so we, the statistician came in, so we didn't, so we uh, recruited the schools, and then he divided the schools into control and experimental. So that, so there was no bias from our side, but what, what we needed was consistency. So um, all these schools needed to have, firstly, a mini rugby structure. Secondly, they needed to at least, so we... Uh, in the research, we could only get one session per week with them, and then they played a game. So that was one of the limitations to the study as well. So that was consistent for both schools. And then 
So, um, so when we did statistician divided the schools, so we didn't have control over who's in the experimental and the control right. group. Um, and then, but in but what was interesting is that the control group actually tested better in the pre-testing. So that was good to see. And then we'd also see the effect of the experimental group throughout the 16 weeks. So there was a clear effect that the, the education part and the skill intervention had an effect in the improvement of the skills. So going to the into, uh, the experimental group, uh, so they were brought in and they were going to be given um, a different program. Now, often we find in education uh, that coaches aren't always open to these new ideas. How did you persuade them or what, what was the system that you used to help them become more effective or perhaps be better at what... Uh, what they were aiming to do in terms of skills. Yeah, so so you you're right in saying there was a bit of resistance from the beginning. Um, and yeah, I need to acknowledge the Western Province Rugby Union because they supported it as well. Mm. And secondly, I we went with with scientific facts and say this is the effect. This is what's happening in South African rugby at the moment. These these are the reasons why our junior teams are struggling because we we didn't uh, we're struggling with skills. And so we don't have a proper skills development program in South Africa. So here's the start of something to instill um, to instill a skills development program. But prior to this, we also did. Um, so there was two parts to to his to his master's thesis. So the one part was the coaching profile. What we picked up is that coaches didn't have knowledge on skill development. So we could use that as a motivation as well. Right. And uh, so when uh, when you say knowledge, can you give me an example of uh, a piece of knowledge that they were lacking, which you may say I was quite surprised about? So something like uh, we tend to look on on, on drills on YouTube. And then on adult rugby, and then we want to implement it with under seven or under six boys. Right. And we want to implement it the same way that the senior, uh, the adults have been exposed to. So that's one issue. Then is also planning, um, using cones. And I think that's what we're struggling with. Um, using one ball for 10 boys. That's what we, we're struggling with. So that's things that we, we wanted to implement as part of the, the coaching development program. So it installed. So if you're using... Ten ball. Um, let's say you've got ten boys in your group. At least it, everyone get a ball so that they, in a five-minute activity, they touch the ball ten times or five times. Depends on what you want to achieve from the activity. So one of the things that we needed, we needed to change our mindsets first on not to duplicate adult rugby and duplicate it in in mini rugby. So that needed to change. What I think is refreshing from what you're saying there is that these are things that um, in, say, in the UK, we've been saying for a long time, uh, yet we've not really tested to see if what seems to make sense has actually come out and uh, seen improvements. So we, we think, yes, everyone's if everyone has a ball, that must be better. But my sense is, uh, reading through the paper, is that we've actually seen here are measurable outcomes and we would expect that and it's it's come it's come to pass so these are definite things that we should be taking forward and we shouldn't be ignoring them so um give me an example uh of um a plan that the experimental group would be doing which might be different so typical is uh, we moved away from um so dynamic so we made use of dynamic activities for warm-ups and we made it fun and we involve the ball. It's like um, jumping jacks, um, people crawling underneath each other. You need to keep the ball the whole time. Um, like um, 
activity is where you place all the balls in the middle, you place them on, on a circle, you blow the whistle. Um, so you, you take out, before you blow the whistle, you take out the ball and then they need to run towards the ball and the earliest person just get the ball and then the one person would fall out. That's the best uh, reaction and a bit of agility and speed as well. And then typically we'd play a lot of um, four versus four, five versus five activities. And then also um, in the small-sided games, what we if we if they picked up that, um, let's say, one boy is struggling, they move him to the side, they work on a technique and then include him in the game again. So everything was designed uh, we use the principle of small-sided games. That was our main principle. And then also we've, we focused, so the coach had to observe. Um, and then if boys are struggling, you had to need, pull them to the one side, work on the technique, and then include them in the activity. So everything we did, we tried to involve the ball. So a typical would be a dynamic warm-up with a lot of fun activities, a main part, uh, briefing is short, so there's not a lot of. So we, what we tend in South Africa is that the coaches, they've got a 25-minute session. They spend 20 minutes talking, so they're <laughs> listening to themselves. So we wanted to short keywords instruction, let the boys play. That was the main purpose, and the drills was designed to keep it fun. A lot of balls, they touch the ball quite a lot of times, so a lot of repetition. And so, and then a typical cool down would be again a fun activity, not static stretches, because that's what, uh, again, as I spoke about earlier about the adult rugby, we try and duplicate that. So, if you've got a six year old or a seven year old boy, he doesn't want to uh, focus on stretches, so make it dynamic, get them moving as soon as possible, talk less, and make it competitive as well between, between the boys, right? So uh, off they went. They were doing these uh, these exercises, and obviously for the research, you were trying to measure how how much uh, how much they improved. So how do you go about? So first of all, there were I believe there were six skills you were looking at. So what six were those skills? Six? Yeah. So just tell me through so the six skills. So it's passing and then catching as well, then picking up a, a stationary ball, then evasive running, we specifically focus on the sidestep, then tackling, and then contact is like taking the ball into contact. So those were the six skills. So these six skills were taken from the World Rugby Level 1 textbook. Right. So, and uh, we have to remember that um, I think that uh, in South Africa, you tackle a little bit younger than uh, yes, in the UK. Yeah. Uh, which, of course, is um, is another area for debate, but that's for that's another a, yeah. time. And, yeah, uh, but so how do you go about measuring uh, the effectiveness. I know that uh, one of the things that you've talked about, and inevitably in all research, you'd love to have a lot more time and uh, a lot more players to look at. But how do you go about measuring each of these skills? Okay, okay. so so we what we designed it for each skill. We designed the activity which the player perform. It's got video recorded, and then we use the template. So the key f- factors that's in the World Rugby textbook, and then we we graded them and say, let's say, prop under the inside leg. So you didn't execute that, so you don't. Get a mark for that. So then, so you repeated the exercise three times, and then we gave you an average mark for each of that key factors, and then we added your total, and then we could give you a score for you so execution of that specific skill. Okay, so uh, I'm going to put you on a spot here and ask you for um, another couple of examples of uh, key key things that you were looking out for on the video. So, uh, so passing, we typically would use um, your elbows. Is it tucked? 
How mm. do you pass the follow through? Do you prop onto your inside leg? After you've passed, do you follow your pass? And what and body position, your shoulders turn? So those are typical key factors that we looked at. Right. So we didn't change on the key factors because we wanted to have a standardized um, assessment. Um, so we sw- um, slowly went onto what World Rugby set aside in their key factor analysis um, section of, of the World Rugby Level 1. Now, the the potential difficulty with that, of course, is that there's always a debate on uh, what is an effective key factor. I know World Rugby has uh, certainly got one view, and there may you could it could be argued there's more than one way to pass the ball. Yes. Um, now. My, my sense is, and as maybe I'm being protective of you here, is that you've got to pick out some some uh, key factors. And uh, if you're going to say, right, this is the key factor I'm going to coach to pass the ball. If you're doing this, then this is going to be effective. What what did you did you find that um, some some of the outcomes were effective, but some of the key factors were not necessarily being uh, executed. executed? Yes, definitely. So. So we looked also was the outcome achieved and, and we we took that in, in mind because and I normally when I speak to, to coaches is that you look at Dan Bigger and you look mm-hmm. at a, a Percy Montgomery. Different styles but they achieve the outcome. So yeah. so the, my philosophy is normally if it's not gonna have a long term risk, then keep it that way. So, but for the purpose of the research, we kept kept it standardized because we wanted to have consistency. And we, in order, because we had three testing opportunities, so all three testing opportunities had to be under the same conditions. But one thing that we picked up, and that's quite um, from the just the testing opportunities, is following the ball. And I've always of opinion that South Africans are very lazy when we're not in possession of the ball. So that that's so that, that, yeah, that's a key skill they need to do. So watch out in uh, ten years' time. Uh, not only you'll be winning the World Cup at the moment, you'll be winning the World Cup uh, then for following <laughs> following the ball. Uh, so yeah, uh, what, what I'm finding interesting here is that uh, in a sense we could have picked up a whole range of different skills, and some people might say, well, this is a more important school than, skill than the other. But really, what you're you're suggesting and what uh, Jack Jack was uh, saying is that unless we coaching the skills uh, and concentrate on coaching the skills the players won't get better so yes we can have a template for skills uh, there could be 20 that we might identify and we might argue over four of them but unless you're actually going out there and teaching the skills they won't improve so we've got to have a proper skills mm. program in place now uh, when someone says a skills program does that mean that um, you're teaching some skills before others are you saying some skills are more difficult what, what's your sense of that oh, so bef- before we start about skill what, what I skill for me is a player needs to execute the the technique or the how of the skill under pressure so that's skill for me a skill consists of firstly a technique part and that needs to be installed and some techniques takes longer than others so um, we've got a at school rugby, we've got an attacking mindset. So passing and catching and evasive running is much easier than tackling because mm-hmm. we've got that mindset. So tackling might take longer at junior level, but as soon as it is installed, it might become easier. So for me, definitely some skills will take longer and some skill needs to take needs to happen early in a, in a, in a, in a rugby career before others can, can develop. So like for me, if you can't pass... 
you can't really play this game because passing and catching is a, is a cornerstone of this game. But then so is tackling. So if if I'm not going to defend, I'm going to concede tries. So so that's also important. But for me, I, I personally believe that passing and catching, evasive running, that should be the cornerstone of any program. And then tackling from a defensive view and not tackling in systems, but solely, look, solely looking at a tackling technique. So just to get back to what you asked, so yes, certain things need to happen before others can be installed because if you've got an attacking mindset, that's easier to develop and then tackling is going to take quite a while to develop because that's a mindset that needs to change. Because just to give you an example, when I coached, I coached um, a club team in the Strand area of Cape Town, so they, they've got a background on touch rugby. So for them, it's easier to attack than to defend. So, because I didn't spend a lot of time on attacking, so I spend about 60, um, 60% of my time focusing on defense, tackling technique, getting in a system, because that attacking ability was already installed in them. So the level is going to play a massive role and also a bit of the background and the community that they come from. from a yeah, yeah, but I think that's, and overall that's important. And one of the things you've uh, said quite early on is that we, you have to, be coaching at the level your players at not the level you're at so don't come in and instill adult values when in fact you're uh, coaching mini players which brings me very neatly onto another question is um one of the things it has said you say in your paper is talking about fun and is often said that it's more important for mini players to have more fun than be taught skills now my sense is they go hand in hand. How do you mix up coaching technique with fun? So I touched on it earlier. So when we spoke about the practice design, so mm. so the big focus of the intervention was um, was small sided games. So having fun games, small groups, five versus five, four versus six. So then. Um, the coaches identify a player that struggles with technique, so you pull him to the side, work on him his technique for one or two minutes, then include him in the game again. So, for for me is um, and and for Jock was it was important that the ball is in play the whole time. The players need to get used to the ball. They need to have fun. It needs there needs to be a competitive environment. So like having a circle, placing there's ten of them on the side, placing nine balls in the middle. They need to run to that and pick up the ball. So that also brings in that fun and competitive element. And what we shouldn't neglect is that these boys are quite competitive at six, seven, and eight. <laughs> yeah. And 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 I don't, I don't mean competitive um, focusing on winning, but focusing on achieving the outcome, focusing on improving. So they come quite competitive. So for me, it's important, firstly, there needs to be a clear outcome of what do you want to achieve from the session. And the focus should be, I want to develop technique and I want to develop skills through a fun way. So keep the players involved, keep instruction short. Don't have a long warm-up and, and you speak and you give feedback on games. So we also told the coaches, games are just there for play. That's We see that as a practice session. We're not going to give a lot of feedback on the game, on the score. We're just going to give feedback on the skills, how they executed the skills. And then the next training session, again, fun. A lot of balls, a lot of repetition. Um, make it creative, uh, make it competitive as well. So that's our way of how we try and develop skills. Now, one of the things um, that is very difficult with that uh, system or way of doing that is the coach themselves has to be quite good. And one of the things, again, you talk about in the paper is uh, it's not just about the quantity of training. In fact, uh, you're quite keen to emphasize it's about the quality of training. Mm -hmm. Now, 
quality training often comes down to the coaches. So was there a challenge there that you were picking up coaches? It was random, obviously, and their quality was not yet good enough. Uh, how, how did you deal with that? Because um, some some coaches are going to be naturally very good at this and some again are struggle so um how do you, i'm trying to just i'm wondering myself thinking about this is um the quality of coaches must affect the players how do you think that might have affected the research uh, we were lucky in that re- regard so first thing is that the coaches the coaches were open-minded about it so they they were positive about it and they through research they could see definitely what this could be the effect of this program and I could be some I could be part of something bigger so that was the mindset so something is that we our training the the half day training was very important so we went through so session design your role of the coach your positioning how do you give feedback how do you pull the player to the side while they performing the the small-sided game, your observation, your angle. So that was important. And then also the ongoing communication, the ongoing feedback. Because what Jock could do, Jock attended the practice sessions. So luckily for us, the boys, the under-seven group, practiced at a different time than the the under-eight and under-nine group. So that that was a, that assisted us in, from a logistic point of view. So we could give regular feedback. We had a WhatsApp group where the coaches shared ideas. This worked for me. That didn't work. Maybe let's try something. Different, so there was ongoing reflection and then also education through the whole process, and it's also, and we believe that kept them positive because 16 weeks can become quite long. Mm. Mm. So they were, and I think they were also they. If if it wasn't for the coaches, the program might not have achieved the success it did. There's a lot of uh, interesting things in there in terms of the motivation and the drive because because they felt that they were part of something bigger they then were working much harder at sharing whereas uh, one of the suggestions you're making and I think this happens all across the world is often coaches go into a little silo and say this is the only way and uh, Mm. I don't really want to listen to anyone else because they might criticize or go against so these were coaches who were open to this and I maybe um this is the effect, uh, the Elton Mayo effect, is that when you pay attention to people, they then become more motivated, even if you might be telling them something rubbish. I mean, you might have given them six skills, which might have been the worst skills that were possible. But because they were working harder, they felt they were part of a bigger movement, um, they engaged more with you, and but they engaged more with each other, which which sounds sounds like a very good outcome from the whole thing I mean uh, afterwards obviously these coaches have gone on to coach what sort of things have you learned from them since so we we didn't follow up so so what we are working on now at the moment is to to get this to implement the formal program so myself mm-hmm. and Jacques is busy designing so we used the the Blue Bulls Rugby Union the manual and, and we want to redesign the manual and we want to implement it in, in more schools with the evidence and the research to show that it's really got an effect so that's what we're working on and we hopefully we want to publish or make it available to the schools by by May end of May and then for in order for them to plan for next season and and also we want to do then we want to go to primary schools and, and, and go, really go and educate the money rugby coaches but not just money rugby we want to take it a step further and, and focus on coaching education I've, I've stayed in contact with one of the coaches and he actually he went on to become 
uh, provincial coach at a junior level, um, and his and his words to me is, the the program really forced me to look at detail where I looked at just at the outcome, but look at the fundamentals of each skills, not so much focus on the tactic, but really the fundamentals and, and the fun factor that stood out for you. So you talk about fundamentals, and in the paper you talk about fundamentals in movement skills and game skills. Uh, what does that mean, and what, does, what, are those, uh, what does movement skills and game skills look like in training? So, so fundamentals. Um, I don't. I'm not sure if you're aware that in South Africa we don't have formal uh, physical education as part of our curriculum. So that's been neglected the last ten years. So when I went to school and some of the older people there had formal physical education, and our kids are struggling to move. They're struggling to put their body in motion. They're struggling to know where their body is while in motion. So that's what we mean with movement. And then, so the movement is to jump, to catch, to kick. That's fundamentals that we miss because we don't have a, a, a formal um, physical education program. Then game, game fundamentals are your, your, the six skills that we focus on because rugby is made up of six core skills. And, and we, we looked at these six core skills because these are, these are in, instrumental in, in playing rugby. If you can't pass, you, you can't catch. Um, so if, you, if, you weren't, if you're not able to catch the ball, you won't be executing and an, um, an sidestep. So those are the, the game skills that we referring to that are fundamental for the game now in terms of those game skills uh, you picked up on six skills which ones um, when you're looking back at the research and looking back at the numbers were you surprised improved more than others I mean obviously you've got a view beforehand before you start you think uh, well I think this one's going to uh, be better than the other but the great thing about research is that it's not biased and you're not forcing it so thinking back which one surprised you the most and which one you thought well, I thought that was going yeah. The contact so talk me part. through that then. The contact. Um, how do you go into contact? That that improved quite a lot because because it's um, especially in the if you look at the research in the um, in the under age groups and the, so that improved. So it's that showed a very large improvement from from the baseline testing to the post testing. Um, we were quite surprised because I thought passing and catching because. Um, a lot of people view rugby as an attacking game and they focus on attack and we thought passing and catching would improve. But it also then, because contact is, there's a lot of risk involved in contact, maybe that's why the players, they could have focused more because we emphasize a lot of safety techniques, how going into contact, your body position into contact. That's where we, we did a, um, in the program a lot of technique on the side before we went to the, to the small side of games. Um, and then, Think that something that I expected that would improve more would, would be sidestep because in South Africa at school level it's easier to evade contact. That didn't improve as much as as like um, contact. So that was quite surprising for me. Um, and then I think something that improved the least, if you look at the groups, is passing. And what would you put? Surprising. What would you put that down to? Do you think that could be due to the intervention because we we because. When we did the contact part is we brought in, because we've got a, a, a safety program in South Africa called BoxSmart. So a lot of these coaches need to attend it and contact forms an integral part of it. Um, and there's a lot of research on contact. And maybe I think that could be the reason. And we, we focused a lot on this, as I mentioned earlier, the safety aspect of going into contact. The passing is to have fun. We focus on the elbow. Maybe the boys focus more while doing the testing. And also the coaches focus more on that. 
Yeah, and, and obviously there's inevitably with all research, you'll probably think back and, oh, we might have done that differently. And, I mean, in, in the, the programme itself, it's perfectly possible that uh, the programme itself could be uh, adjusted and other things brought in and taken out. But overall, the, the sense is that if you focus on skills, they will improve, as opposed to if you're, if you're focused on a different way or you're not adding in the sort of interventions so with a control group you would see what sort of well there'll be a lack of intervention or what what are, what are, what are the mistakes of the control group making that you're thinking oh they really need to change that what were the main things that they are doing wrong in a sense so for me the main thing was activity design how they design the activities. They went traditional way, kids standing in lines, kids waiting for a turn, where the focus of the experimental group, they were exposed to ball is in play that most of the time there's enough balls. So a lot of the coaches would do the Auckland grid as part of the warm-up, find the six boys, and then the boys in a 10-minute stroll, they might touch the ball five, uh, five times. So that I would change. Then also the time spent and how quickly we move from activity to activity. Then the major, major issue was with coaches talking too much. That was a major concern from the control group. So out of a, and I gave an example um, earlier, out of a 25 minute session, the coach would be actively talking for up to 20 minutes. Now, um, I'm interested in now the interventions of the coaches in the experimental group. Now, uh, let us say, what, what was the ratio of coaches to players then? So we we focus on coaches one to ten. So that was 10. our ratio. Right. So let us coach. say a, a coach is uh, coaching 10, 10, 10 boys, and they're playing a game, and one particular boy is struggling with his passing. How would uh, how would that coach deal deal with that in the in the program? So in the program, so um, there's we, we had a ratio of one to ten, but they also had one or two coaches per age group. So mm -hmm. so while one coach would pull a boy to the side, the other coach would observe and then right. and continue. So that's to overcome that. And then the technique part for us was was really important because that's where the development take place and that one on one. But also, uh, it's important for those kids to be part of a, a group dynamic because that was also important for us. Um, so the coaching education part, as I mentioned earlier, was also really important for us. And we in the training and the ongoing learning, we also continue to to emphasize important key factors like your positioning. How do you pull someone to the side? How do you focus on his technique? How long do you, if you pull him to the side, how long do you work with him before you include him in the game? So those are things that we included in the coaching education program. And uh, there was no talk about tactics or winning games? No. So, so for the experimental group, so the outcome was solely to develop skills. That was the outcome and to test the skills education program. Now, uh, it was perfectly possible for a uh, headmaster to say, that's lovely, I've really enjoyed that, I've got a more skillful team, uh, but uh, we've lost every single game. What uh, is, there, is there any way that um, uh, there's a danger that they're, they're more skillful, but they're not actually more tactically effective? So... So um, just to introduce, so I spoke earlier about mini rugby and how we, we structured it in South Africa. Because these boys under seven and eight, they don't feel uh, play on a full field. Yeah. Up north, under nine, they start playing on a full field. So 
for us, the scoreline was irrelevant, so it wasn't important. Mm. And luckily, the schools bought into that. So the yeah. scoreline of the game. So we didn't even record how many tries were scored. So we just looked at skills development. And so that's why, and I can understand from a, and you know, parents, they want their kids to do well, but it's also... Mm. We wanted to look at the long-term effect. We didn't want yeah. to have short-term results, and 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 a match outcome wasn't re- it wasn't important for us. We didn't even speak about it in the intervention. The coaches were never exposed to it, and we said we're going to look at to see at the end of the, the season how to develop the skills of these boys. That was our ultimate aim. And uh, in terms of what the reaction of the players were, what, what did uh, what were the coaches observing that the players were doing, say, in the experimental group that they weren't necessarily doing in the control group in terms of their reaction to what was going on? So we, we informed both. So we had a sit down with both schools, with all the mm-hmm. schools that were part. So we briefed them at the beginning of what is the purpose of the program and what we did, so the control group, so after the intervention, we gave them the whole intervention to the coaches and to the schools to implement. So that's, um, so we we were aware that we might be creating um, a diversity in the groups. So that was clear, but in order to test uh, to test if the intervention is going to work, we needed to have experiment in a control group. So so they were exposed to it afterwards and some of the schools are still implement. So the other schools, are, the control group schools are still implementing the program as, as we, as they went on last year and the year before. Um, so the experimental group, um, we, we, we informed the kids and we briefed them in the beginning of the season. We, we don't, we're not focusing on the game itself. We're just going to be here to, to improve your skills on a long-term basis. We're not going to look at the short-term effect of it. Um, and they bought into it. Like maybe we, we, I could I could show them evidence, um, especially with the coaches and the parents. We called in the parents as well, because I know um, they also a big role player in this, and and we we motivated them, and we also I showed some evidence of of burnout and kids kids leaving school sports because of the emphasis on on winning. Mm. So, and then they bought into it. So so a lot of the time we we had to do education, and I think that's what we need in, from a South African perspective as well. So that leads me on to sort of the, the the wrap up question, which is now now you've gone through it, and obviously you had a uh, you and Jack had a very clear hope that you would um, see the benefits of better education and more skills. If you had a um, a wish list for coach education for coaches coming in, say at uh, working with under sevens, under eights, under nines, what would that look like? What would that sort of coach education system look like? So a wish list for me from a personal perspective is I think we should have a skills development program at primary schools in South Africa. So we should have a standardized skills education program or development program in South Africa. That's a wish list for me. And um, we should take out take away our under 13 Craven week and focus solely on skills development because at the moment so everyone's got this own development program and then the kids are exposed to it um, kids are exposed to tactics at a young age as nine <laughs> and we don't develop their skills and then as soon as they get to senior rugby club coaches and provincial coaches struggle because the skills wasn't installed because what I pick up in a South African point it's so easy to coach tactics so get informations um 
um, this is how you run off nine, that's easy to coach. But if a player doesn't have the ability or the skills to catch a ball while running off a nine, you can have the best tactics, but you're not going to be effective. So firstly, get a, get a skills development program in, in at primary school level. Then also, and I know uh, you've, you've had a podcast with Sharif Hendricks earlier, yeah. well, yeah. last year. Um, it's also, and I want to add on to what Sharif spoke about, is to have a contact in a contact development program to develop contact skills because if you look at statistics in, in, in rugby, most of the events is contact events in rugby is to develop contact skills and then for me is to link that to a skills development program at primary school. Take out away all competitions or not competitions, play other schools, but take out trophies, take out results at primary school level in order to develop these kids. Because um, at the moment, what hinders us from developing, uh, of including development program is that there's a trophy or there's a provincial team at under 13 level that kids aspire to play for. But as soon as you take that out and you sort of focus, our, per, our focus is skill development and we want to implement a long-term player development plan and we want to install the core skills so that in the long run you could be more effective and you could play at a high level and you've got the skills to execute. Now, of course, there's, there is a danger there that uh, South Africa wins a World Cup and everyone thinks, well, we're fine. We don't need to uh, do this. We're we're absolutely sorted. But, of course, uh, this is not just about creating international players. This is about creating players who can play for a long time in a safer environment. And I know one of the things that you're very keen on and talking about Sharif Hendricks' uh, work is that they are safer and they are better prepared for contact. Now, I just want to... Uh, just the, the wrap up really one now is about the quality of coaching so how often I mean ideally every coach is talking to their mentor every week about their coaching but in a practical way what do you think a good coaching program looks like for someone who's coaching under sevens under eights under nines uh, obviously they have a they will have a course to start off with like the one you ran to help out with the experimental group but how often should they be interacting with each other to work out how well they're getting on so that's quite important because what we we've seen the benefit of having a WhatsApp group where coaches could share ideas. But if I had to implement a, a coaching education program at this age group, firstly I would focus on how to to design activities and how to design practice sessions. And um, in that practice session, add detail like keywords. How often do I speak? When do I intervene? How do I give feedback? Um, someone once told me. Um, and he used Twitter as an example. If you can't bring across a, a message in 140 characters, you don't know enough about the topic. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's and that stood. And so, so I normally use if you can't bring across a drill or activity in 45 seconds, you don't know enough about it, or you didn't plan properly. So for me, that should be the cornerstone. And then how to communicate with players in an ideal world for me in a, in a coaching education program, and how to provide feedback players so so that would be my key principles of a coaching education program and then the most important thing is they need to enjoy it make it fun 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 yeah. and if the coach is enjoying it the players are enjoying it and it all all works out uh, all works out for the good well so it's been very very interesting to delve into the report and into the paper um, where can where can coaches find out more 
So um, they can drop me a mail. So so I don't know if uh, I can leave my e- email address. Uh, it's yeah. It's, well, I'll put you say it now, but also I'll put it in in the coach notes at their so, bottom. So my email is kjw at sun, um, sun.ac.za, or they can follow me on Twitter at Coach Wilbur, um, and they can drop me a DM, and I'll I'll send I'll share the I'll get share the the article again on my on my Twitter account, and then also I can send it via email and or via Twitter to them. Uh, brilliant, and uh, I'm sure that coaches will want to be asking you further detailed questions well first of all um thank you very much for sharing it with me in the in the first place uh, i found it a fascinating paper to read and really it threw out quite a few questions which you've uh, you've answered as well but i think it's very exciting for coaches to to read and understand that uh, it does make a difference when you plan it does make a difference when you concentrate on the skills uh, but it doesn't have to be you at the front talking to them it's activity it's about getting the players to enjoy what they're doing but also know why they're doing it and another thing I think you've said in uh, in the paper and I think I've hope I've mentioned it's it's not about the quantity it's about the quality mm. and uh, that's very important well well but first of all uh, it's brilliant that you're doing this and I know that uh, it's an ongoing process and there's there's still lots more to learn but thank you very much for your time and sharing your thoughts and your research with us and thanks Dan thanks for the opportunity again um, it's um, it's no use uh, we publishing the paper and the work uh, and it doesn't get out there so thanks for you for the opportunity to share our work and also thanks for what you're doing for development of rugby uh, in in podcast on Twitter on your website on your published um, information so well done on you as well and thanks again for the opportunity uh, well, that's very kind and, uh, well, I look forward to uh, keeping in contact and working with you further on these uh, these ideas. So uh, thank you very much, everyone, for listening in. Uh, uh, this is um, a podcast from rugbycoachweekly.net. Uh, go along to the website and you can click on the podcast tab to find out more about the podcasts and dig into some of the podcasts we talked about, including the one from Sharif Hendricks, which was on uh, his tackling research. Um, so thank you very much to everybody and uh, speak to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. If you want to hear more podcasts, head over to rugbycoachweekly.net and click on the blogs tab to catch up on any episodes you've missed. We look forward to speaking to you again soon with more insights from coaches and experts from the world of rugby, sport, and learning.